0: Well, you all are turning into fanatics. This COVID has done something to you. I don't know what happened. You just kind of got wild on us. Amen? It's about time. You know, we all need something to stir us up spiritually. You ever had one of those encounters where you just were kind of, coasting along in your Christianity and then you encountered somebody who was fired up for God and it changed your whole perspective. Or you found yourself in a crisis and then you began to seek out for God and God began to come through and answer your prayers and it made all the difference. You know, you look back on your life and you you, you see all the changes that have happened. You get frustrated because you're looking at today and, not, and realizing that What's happened happens over time. It doesn't just happen one day. It happens out of consistent, constant walking with God is how you see the progress in your life, amen? Amen. So don't be discouraged today if you go like, man, I'm struggling today. Hey, join the club. I always thought a great sign out front would be sinners welcome here. All others stay away. What do you think? Because you see, we're all on that, uh, that same footing of seeking hard after God, and yet at the same time fighting with the human side of us that tries to, to attach itself to earth and the things of this earth, and it is a battle. The Bible talks about it being a battle. We are waging a war every single day of our life with ourself, that is our flesh, with the world around us, and the devil. You got three enemies working against you every day, but I've got some good news. The God of the universe is working on your behalf, in you and through you, to bring you to the fulfillment as the sons and the daughters of God in all eternity, amen? Amen. In other words, you're doing okay. Just stay in the fight, amen? Stay in the fight, this morning, I. I had a moment of nostalgia, we're baptizing today and we, I don't know, I think we have about 30 people being baptized. By the way, if you wanna get, get baptized today, uh, we can do spontaneous baptisms. No, I'm serious, we have everything you need. We have a towel, we have shorts, we have shirts, changing rooms, we have everything out there for you, ready to go, some people just get moved with the spirit and say, I didn't even know it was today, but I wanted to do it. Just, you know, that's what happened the day of Pentecost. Peter got up and preached, and they didn't even have shorts and shirts and a changing room, right? And, they, and they were, it says they were, they were just moved in their heart. And they said, what do we do now? Now that we've repented, now that we've come to faith in Christ, what do we do now? And he said, let every one of you repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And that day about 3,000 were baptized. They didn't take a class. Didn't have a robe, they had Jesus. So if God moves you today and you wanna get baptized, we have, uh, we have room for you. We have plenty of water. Uh, I wanna thank our, our plumbers in our church. They hooked up a brand new hot water heater so the water will be hot. And uh, we've also designed that, uh, Alex, you in the house, are you outside, but you're going last. Alex plays football for UConn, he's 305 and 66. We're not sure if we're gonna get him wedged in the, in the trough or not. <laughs> but uh, I looked at him and said, how, how big are you? And he said, I'm a big boy. And I said, I know that, <laughs> but I, I just love his heart. Got a great heart for God and uh, s- serving the Lord. Today I wanna talk to you about seven months of silence. That's how long the church in California has been closed by the governor's order. Seven months of silence. The FBI and CIA can't find half the pastors. They've gone AWOL. When did we ever think that Christianity was supposed to be comfortable and convenient and not designed for radical warriors for Jesus Christ? When did that day happen? There's a whole book called The Fox's Book of Martyrs that records all those who were willing to stand in defiance of those who said they could not stand. There's a whole chapter in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 that records those who were unwilling to bend the knee and yield to the power of imperial Rome. And they stood and it cost them their life. I believe we're in a new era in the church. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go back to the other one. I'm a little tired of celebrity preachers, a little tired of fashionable Christianity. I want to go back 2,000 years to those who stood on the foundation of Jesus Christ, His Word, and His Spirit, Amen? amen? And I believe if you're here today, you're probably here for the same reason unless you got tricked into coming today. That does happen, that does happen. You make a promise because it's somebody's birthday. Some mom says, you, the only thing I want for my birthday is you to come to church and you got tricked. <laughs> well, hang in there, this will be over soon. The church has allowed itself to be muzzled. Influence is one of the very few California churches who have decided to open based on the First Amendment of the Constitution. Senator Daniel Webster stated in 1802 that miracles do not cluster, and what has happened may not happen again. Hold on to the Constitution, for if the American Constitution should fail, there will be anarchy throughout the world. Do you realize that much of the stability that the world experiences is the stability that America experiences? One person has said, when America gets a cold, the world gets a flu. Just watch the stock market. If our stock market goes down, watch all the other exchanges around the world and see what happens. If America should lose its sense of God, it can only be explained by the church's failure to stand in the marketplace with a unified voice. We do not need silence, appeasement, or compromise in this season. If the pastor does not recognize boldness and courage, I promise you that people do. Time and time again. Time and time again, we have heard the phrase here in this place over the last seven months. Thank you for your leadership, speaking to our whole staff and our board. This kind of boldness should not be unusual or the exception. It should be the norm for those who are called to follow the radical message of the eternal Son of God. Sir John Glubb, the British general and historian, studied the life cycle of empires. He went back into about 800 B.C. and and studied them throughout history up into the 1950s. He found that there were seven stages that every empire, every nation goes through. Let me walk you through those in just a moment, but let me begin by saying this. In all of those different stages of development and decline, there are heroes that come to the forefront, and the heroes change based on the age and the condition of the church. In the early stages, it's noted by soldiers, builders, pioneers, and explorers. If you look back in our history, those early days, where we recount those who who were willing to stand for the American Revolution, those who were willing to brave the the great west and come this way and and establish new states and, and fight for really the freedom that was theirs. As you begin to move, you move into more of that industrial age and you see that it was the successful businessmen and entrepreneurs that became essential. Those who stood for commerce, and they became critically important. We saw their elevation right during World War II, when all of a sudden we were plunged into a war because of the attack on Pearl Harbor, and every one of those industrial powerhouses mobilized to begin to manufacture tents, uh, 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 tanks, and and planes and and boats and, and they began to move in a great way and they became heroes. They became known uh, by everyone by their very name. The last stage, however, of these stages is decline and decadence. People think today most highly of athletes, musicians, and actors, regardless how corrupt their lives are. And this, this, Sir John Glubb said, was the final stage of decadence. When our heroes become actors, musicians, and athletes, who are your heroes today? Who do you look to as a guiding light? I've been watching with curiosity and responding appropriately to all those actors who threaten to leave if Trump is elected. I will pay their plane ticket. When do these demigods think they could actually influence society by threatening to move from America. I remember in the last cycle. All the ones who promised to leave, well they're still here. How do we get rid of them? You know, this nation was not made great because of its celebrities, it was made great because of the common people who understood freedom, liberty, and the power of a united voice against a tyrant king, King George. We will not be different any other way. The first stage in those stages he described were pioneers and then the stage of conquest. And so the pioneers came and they set up shop and then they began to to battle across the west and we hear those great tales of what they encountered and how difficult it was. If you've ever driven outside of Orange County and outside of Riverside and you get out into the desert and you wonder, how did they get in a wagon train when I'm struggling with my air conditioner? And they moved where there were no roads, there was no water because they were, con- they were on a conquest, they were pioneers, they were moving forward. And then the nation began to grow and the Industrial Revolution came and commerce, and out of commerce came affluence. And out of affluence came that season of that new age, that digital age where the intellect became supremely important. And all of a sudden we see these great powerhouses when it comes to the intellect like Gates and Jobs and others, and they were able to do something that we didn't think was possible that nobody even conceived of before, and yet with that led to decadence. It led to now the control, a monopoly if you will, by the digital powerhouses of our nation to stop free speech, to keep those views that are contrary to theirs from being heard across the board. You see, one thing about America is that we celebrate different ideas. But if we don't hear them, we can't celebrate them. There are many, many people that I don't agree with, but I wanna hear what they have to say. I wanna consider it. I wanna know that is the basis of free speech which makes our Constitution so brilliant. I want you to know that the last stage is a stage of decline and collapse, and this is the one that is marked by actors and entertainers and musicians being the heroes of a society. If you don't have a hero outside of that group, you need to reach back into history and find one. I like to ask men when I'm talking to them, I said, I want you to tell me three heroes. I want you to tell me a political hero, a military hero, and a religious hero, and your religious hero can't be Jesus. It has to be somebody who followed Jesus. And the way they answer all of those is telling to their leadership style and how they value life and what's important in life. Right now, you're probably wondering, well, who are your heroes? Well, I'm gonna tell you. So my political hero is Winston Churchill. Not an American, should have been. You say, why is Churchill your hero? Because against all odds, he became the prime minister. He never went to college. It's a great trivia question. What college did Winston Churchill go to? He won the Pulitzer. He was prime minister twice of Great Britain. He didn't, he went to Eton. He went to high school. He defied all the odds. When it comes to religious, it's Hudson Taylor. Why Hudson Taylor? Because he went against the grain as a missionary. And he and, and took uh, China inland and took the gospel inland. And he was always somehow different from all the other missionaries. He wouldn't live in the missionary compounds and he dressed like the Chinese and he wore pigtails and he took tea bags, and he stained his face to try to be darker so he could blend in. And he became one of the great missionaries of all time. And then General George Patton would be my military hero. Now some of you don't know who these people are. That's why we have Wikipedia. <laughs> Amen? I love Wikipedia. I don't know if it's true or not, I just believe it. Find a hero and understand what made them great. What made Why are they great for you? Let me talk to you a little bit about a time for preparation. I believe we're in a time of preparation. Today is preparation day. When you show up for church in this season, you are saying, I wanna be prepared for this season that's, that we're in and the one that's coming. Jeremiah chapter 12 and verse five. God wrote these words. He said, if you have run with footmen and they have wearied you. How will you contend with horses? Now think about what he said. If in a race you're running with another individual, another human being, and you get tired, what are you going to do when the race is with a horse? Great power, great speed. And if in a land of peace in which you trusted, they wearied you, then how will you do in the jungle of the Jordan? Now let's just take this apart for a moment. It says, if you have run with footmen and they have wearied you, that word weary means to be exhausted or faint-hearted. You see, if in a season of ease, you lose heart, you're faint-hearted, and you're exhausted, you're always, I don't know what I'm gonna do, I'm exhausted, what are you gonna do if things got 10 times worse? This is a time of preparation. It goes on to say, how will you contend with horses? The word contend there means to burn or have a kindled anger. When you find yourself in this battle where it says, how will you contend with horses? He's saying, when you face an opponent that is stronger and faster and meaner, and whatever else you wanna put there next to that name, what are you going to do? He said, you have to burn with inside and say, I will not lose. I am determined to win. If you will face life and say, I will win, can you say it with me? I will win. Now, you may not know how. You may say right now, well, it's easy to say it now, but how am I gonna get the courage in that moment? The words will be given to you, but you make a decision today, while you're running with footmen, that you will stand when you run against horses. Amen? Put your hands together and just give God a glory to that. And then there's the word trusted. It says, in which you trusted, they wearied you. You see, look what it says, and if in a land of peace, I would say relatively so, we've been in a land of peace over the last 10 years. We wouldn't say we're in a land of peace today. It's changing, isn't it? The environment is changing. But it says, if in a land of peace in which you trusted, that means you felt safe and you had confidence. I think everything's pretty good. I mean, I'm sure somebody smarter than me will figure it out. Have you ever said that? Have you ever thought that? I've thought it. I thought, boy, the big crisis. I know there's some smart people in the world and they're connected and they're they're gonna figure this out because they love the Republic. Can't figure that anymore. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You see, if you trusted in that, what are you going to do when you get plunged into the jungle of the Jordan? What are you going to do when things get challenging, when they really get difficult? What are you going to do then? You're going to fall back on your retirement plan? That can go away like that. Oh, that could never happen? Really? Really? How do you think they're going to solve the national debt? China figured it out. They can access any of the rich people in China. They can just simply access their money and pay government bills because the good of that nation is greater than the the need of the individual. You see, if you watch world politics, you know that they set patterns that other nations try to emulate. We came up with Social Security because of Germany. We came up at the age 65 for retirement because of Germany. Because when the Kaiser was asked, they said the people are wanting retirement, what do we do? And he said, well, we should give them retirement. And then he said, what is the life expectancy of the average German? They said 65, great. Let's do it at 65, that way they'll all be dead, we'll never have to pay for them. America goes, that sounds like a great idea, let's do 65, and then all of a sudden all these individuals in America began to shut off their brain at 65, and they thought they were supposed to retire. Let me tell you when your brain's supposed to shut off, when you're dead. Amen? If you're retired, go back to work, how's that? They need you out there, they need your voice, your expertise, your wisdom, everything you've learned over a lifetime needs to be poured back into into society, not removed from it. Joshua chapter one and verse nine says, be strong, be strong and be of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you. Why do you think he said that to Joshua? Because he was afraid. Duh. Right? Well, you you got a kid and the kid's afraid. What do you tell him? Hey, just be courageous. Why are you telling him that? You're not telling him because he's courageous and just won the Medal of Honor. You're telling him that because he's fearful. God says, Joshua, you're getting ready to lead an army into battle. And I know you're afraid. That's a human emotion but I want you to overcome it. I want you to be strong and be of good courage. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I'm with you, if God's with you, you're good. Like having an older brother. You're in fourth grade, your older brother's in eighth. When he shows up, all the fourth graders are afraid. Amen? I never had an older brother, I had to be the older brother, but I had a mom who was brilliant with a broom. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse six, look what it says. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them, for the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. It Sounds like God's on a broken record. He told that to Moses. Joshua, you get afraid. Moses, you get afraid. Put your name in there. You get afraid, I get afraid, but God says be strong, be of good courage. Deuteronomy 31, eight. The Lord, he is the one who goes before you. Now this is even getting better. I'm with you, but guess what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go before you. You just follow behind me and it's gonna be okay. And while you next to me, or in front of me, or behind me, God says I'll be your rear guard. God says in the Psalms, I am your glory and the lifter of your shield. So God is in front of you, behind you, and next to you, all around you, in you, and through you. Why are you afraid? Can anyone hear me? Why are you afraid? No reason for fear here, amen? They just gotta trust in God. Every time I stop trusting God, I get afraid. We'll have a bad offering, I go, God, what are we gonna do? He says, who are you trusting in? Dang it, I hate it when my sermons kept, come back to me. <laughs> you ever had that, give somebody advice and then you're, you're walking away going, man, that's a really good idea, I wish I could do that. <laughs> amen? We all live that way, it's okay. He says, he will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Let me show you, this next thing I want you to understand is the time for community. You know what this is right here is community. When I walked in here, four or five people told me exactly the same thing, almost word for word. They said this, you know I've been watching online but it's not the same. We weren't designed for online. It's okay if you're on vacation. It's okay if you're, you know, in this season, if you're suffering from some ailment that may, you know, create a problem for you. But it's not okay. Because we need one another. We need community. We need it more than we know we need it. What's the first thing you do when you get away from God? You stop going to church. Why? Because the community is calling you into account and expecting you to live out your faith. Who am I talking to? Come on. I ain't lying, you know what I'm saying, right? I asked a guy the other day, I said, where you been? He said, well, you know, I've been busy. I said, you've been backsliding. I mean, why just, just let's put it out there, right? I can't believe how many church members want to get a note from their doctor. I was sick. Well, bring me a doctor's note. You're not getting out for that easy, amen? Let me take you to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Now, what I want you to do is, I'm gonna gonna bring this back to you, but there are three imperatives, say imperative. That's the word command. So in the Greek language, an imperative is a command. So commands are not optional. Got it? You say, I got it. Got it? All right. Let us draw near, there's the first imperative. Let us draw near, God says you have to draw near. I command you to draw near, how? With a true heart in full assurance of faith. God says draw near me with your heart. Have faith and assurance. Having your heart sprinkled from an evil conscience, that means washed clean. That means your conscience is clean when you come to God. You don't have to live with a guilty conscience, God says. I'm gonna give you a clean conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The idea is we come before God spotless and blameless because of the blood of Jesus Christ spilled at Calvary for on our behalf, amen? Isn't that good news? Put your hands together for God on that one. (laughs) He says, I don't want you guilty. I don't want you feeling like you're carried in this weight of sin. You ever just been, man, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I have guys tell me, man, yeah, I just, I really blew it, and I'm probably the worst sinner in the world, and tell me what you're doing. I go, you're like an amateur, dude. but the blood of Christ cleanses you just like it cleanses the guy that's done more than you or less than you, you have a clean conscience and you stand righteous before God because of his blood. Amen? Okay, let's go, let's read on. Here's the second one. Let us hold fast, there's a second imperative. What to the confession of our hope without wavering. So you're commanded to say, I trust in God. That's a command, not an option. You see, sometimes we'll, I'll hear this out of the voice of a uh, mouth of a Christian. Well, you know, I don't know where God is. I don't know what he's up to. Oh, he's, he's got it all covered. It's not, he's not the problem. Every time I think God's a problem, that's, I gotta go look in the mirror. Because it's Phil who's the problem. It ain't God, it's Phil. Let's hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. You see what it's built on? Your hope is built on the faithfulness of God. Not on your behavior, your emotions, your mindset. It's based on God. You trust in the character of God. God is God. He's got this one. He's got it. Nothing has taken him by surprise. Imagine he gets up one day and he looks over at the sun and the Holy Spirit and he says, we got a problem, I never even thought about COVID. What are we gonna do? You know, he looks over and Jesus got a mask on. <laughs> Holy Spirit, he's six feet away. <laughs> Heaven is not shaken, guys. It's okay. God's got this one, amen? God's got this one. Here's the third imperative, and let us consider one another. That's a command. You know what it means? Think of somebody better than you think of yourself. Ooh, that's, that's kinda hard. Look at somebody and say, I value you. Help somebody, do something for somebody. Be engaged in their life, that's what he's saying. He's saying, in order, how do, why do we do this? In order to stir up love and good works. You know what happens when I believe in you, when I encourage you, when I help you, when I get involved in your life and vice versa? Look what it it stirs up love in me and stirs up in love in everybody. Don't you love to just stir up love instead of trouble? You know some people stir up trouble. They got a big stick and the more they stir it, the more it stinks. And we all know what's in the pot. Don't look at me like you're spiritual. You know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) Amen? They're just stirring it up all the time. God says, I want you to be, I want you to stir something different. I want you to stir up love. Love's got an aroma, doesn't it? Love smells good. My wife got up this morning, she said, "I'm, I'm gonna light a vanilla pumpkin candle. I don't know, what does that smell like? What's a pumpkin smell like? I don't even know what a pumpkin smells like, right? And she lit it, and I go, that smells like a vanilla pumpkin. (laughs) By golly, how do they do that? How do they get the vanilla pumpkins in that little candle? (laughs) I don't know, how's God get in you? And out of you comes love. You you can be a little angry, you can be a little upset, you can be discouraged, defeated, all of a sudden God stirs up love in you and just Jesus comes out. Go, that smelled like Jesus, that looks like Jesus. Wow, you're acting like Jesus, amen? Stir up love and good works. Now, look at this next. Remember, this is a command. You're commanded to stir up love and good works. You're commanded to not forsake the assembling of yourself together. It's a command of God. You see, we've got a constitution, First Amendment, that says the government shall pass no laws. Hear the word no? No laws that will restrict the peaceful gathering. You look pretty peaceful. There are no laws that the government can do. If they create a law that says we cannot gather, that is a violation of the First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States. Period. God says, now that's on that's the political ring, now let's go over the religious realm. God says, I command you not to forsake the assembly of yourselves together. In other words, I don't have the option. I am not going today. You don't have the option. You don't have the option. You know what we saw when churches closed down and then we came back for the first week. First week back, we, we, came, we reopened on the 31st of May. We weren't allowed to, according to the government, but we said, you know what, we're done. People showed up, tears streaming down their face. I heard people sing, I never heard, that. I didn't know they could sing. They were so excited to be back. Let me tell you something. You imagine living in a world where the government closes your church down permanently. Mayor Cuomo's already said he's going to permanently close down the synagogues of New York because they're not complying. Just listen to what I said. Permanently close the synagogues of New York City. There's a Hebrew word for that. Write this one down. You ready? Dumb. De Blasio, dumb and dumber. We got them all in New York, what's going on there? Well, we're too far from it, but anyway. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting. What do you do when somebody's not here? You exhort them, hey, come on, where you been? You you know, if you don't wanna be exhorted, you don't answer your phone, have you ever noticed that? You don't respond to you, email, don't respond to your text. Exhorting one another, all the much more as you see the day approaching. So look at these three imperatives. An imperative is a command, not optional. Let us draw near, let us hold fast, let us consider one another. Wow, if we just did that, if we just drew near to God, and we held fast to our confession in the world, and we considered one another, how to stir up love in one another and good works and we would encourage one another to be together, how much better would it be, amen? How much better would it be? Now there's time for action, and I've gotta hurry here, because you've been listening slow today. Time for action, Nehemiah chapter two, verse 18. Let us rise up and build. Nehemiah is going into Jerusalem, they're rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem there, and the enemies are coming against them. Then they set their hands to this good work, but look, all of a sudden, here comes Sanballat, the Hornite, Here comes Tobiah the Amorite, and here comes Geshem the Arabian. They heard of it, and guess what they did when they saw what they were doing for God? They laughed and they despised them. Are you really gonna do this in another place? They said, if a small little fox would jump on your wall, it would fall down, and they were were belittling the work that God was doing in them. What is this thing you're doing? Will you rebel against the king? And look what Nehemiah does. Here's standing. So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself, will prosper us. If you prosper, God will prosper you. That's who you give glory to, amen? Prosperity doesn't mean you're rich, it means you have, more, have enough to live and a margin to give away. That's what prosper is, amen? Therefore we are his servants, we will arise and build, but you have no heritage, no right, or memorial in Jerusalem. In other words, he said you don't understand three things. You don't understand the heritage that we have, you don't understand the rights that we have, and you don't understand the memorial that we are establishing. Think of that, that's, that's your Magna Carta as a Christian. You, you have heritage, you have rights, and you have a memorial. You have something to remember. This is so good, amen? And the Bible is so amazing. So, thank you, Mom. You gotta be quick at this crowd, I'm telling you right now. (laughs) We will build, we will build for the future. We're gonna build lives. We're gonna build reach. We're gonna build our food distribution. We're gonna build our caring ministry. We're gonna build life and families and children. You know, I had one mom tell us this week that her two kids are coming on Wednesday night to the discipleship uh, uh, class for children. They, They can't wait to get there. They can't wait. Kids are hungry for God. It's parents that get them in sports. Hello. I know some of you are going to be mad at me. You're going to write me a letter. Just put in a return address. Every once in a while I'll get a letter and it's got no return address. Can I tell you what I do with them? I don't even open them. Because if you don't have the guts to put a return address on it, I ain't opening it. And some of you are sad. I sent three letters and he threw them away. All right, no, just kidding. So when we put the, let me just tell you what happened, just for some of you who are new. Several months back when we realized that we needed to provide an outdoor space for two reasons. Number one, we weren't trying to be a total rebellion, total rebellion against the government, just partially. <laughs> but we also realized our people felt more comfortable outside, and we, we wanted to accommodate that. We wanted to minister to people. We wanted to meet them where they were, and that meant whether you wanted to worship outside or whether you wanted to wear a mask, we want to minister to you. And we just went to you and we said, hey, we need 28000 or $30,000, can't remember how much it was, to build a pavilion outside. It's a temporary structure, but uh, We got all that money in five days, okay? And then I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, you know what, I'd like to make this permanent. So I called up our architect, and I said, Robert, can you start working on plans? I'd like to make this permanent, and what do you think it'll take to do that? And he began to talk to me about it, and and I said, and I want to put paving stones underneath it, and I want to have some areas out there where there's, where there's, uh, there's, benches and and tables and umbrellas and we can gather and we can have worship out there and we can just do whatever we want to do out there. It'd be great. So he started working on plans and I said, and I want a big giant cross. I want a big giant cross right in the center of it. Big enough one for, so everybody can see it. And so, uh, and I want a little facelift. I want to make it look a little, and I don't want to spend a lot of money. (laughs) Amen? So let me show you what he came up with. Hopefully this diagram will translate out there. But, isn't that great? So that's a big cross, in case you don't know. It it really does rise up pretty high, and and then you can see the sage structure over here to the right. You kinda see the the grid work, and then down here's a side view of it. And uh, the cross came because of a complaint. I gotta tell you about the complaint. I wanna tell you the good way that God works. (laughs) We just decided we were gonna stand. So the code enforcement came and and issued us a warning that that wooden cross we had in one of the parking places was not within code. And I knew that, kinda. (laughs) But we have excess parking places. It wasn't like it was a problem. But the interesting thing about the complaint it was about one parking place, but we had another parking stall next to it where we were collecting food and had a tent and no complaint there. And then we had a pavilion that was blocking at least eight parking places and we had no complaint there. And so I thought, you know, this sounds like religious persecution. Somebody doesn't like the cross. So my first initial response was just to kind of go as crazy as they were, you know, like, well, we'll fix you. We'll put a cross up in every, at every bumper and we'll, we'll have 70 crosses out front. But then I remembered the reason we started this, one of the ways we started this church and why we've had such favor is because we have loved our city and we've worked with our city. We really have. And when we went to get our first conditional use permit for this building, it took eight minutes to approve. If any of you have ever done this, you know that that doesn't happen. When we got the amendment for the second CUP to expand this area out here, we got that one in five minutes. So I expect the next one only take three. So I went to our Trevor O'Neill and I said, Trevor, I said, can you help me with this? I don't know what to do with this because now we've got a ticket and a fine. And he said, yeah, let me work on it. And So uh, then I got a call from from Ted White and he's head of planning for Anaheim. And Ted's a Christian man. And I said, uh, he said, by the law, Your CUP was based, that parking place is open. He said, I can try to do something to help you out a little bit here, but we might get a complaint again. And so he's trying to work. And I said, you know, Ted, I don't wanna be that guy. I don't wanna be that guy that's on a list that you have somewhere who's a pain. I don't wanna be that guy. I wanna love and support this city. i tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna move the cross. Because somewhere down the road, we're gonna need to do some more expansion. And I'd love to be able to just do it the right way, have a good mindset from you. And he said, Pastor, I'll do whatever I can to help you in the days ahead. And so then, we decided to take the cross out. Now this is where the story gets good. So we got five men on the cross on Saturday, and they couldn't lift it out. Then we got the forklift, and tried to lift it out, and the forklift and five men couldn't get the cross out. It was like God said, leave it alone. We finally got the cross out by cutting it off at the bottom, and we looked at it, and we said, you know, that's a pretty good cross. I hate to get rid of that cross. I'd like to make it a little bit more prominent than it was before. So I got a picture here to show you where the cross is now. Now you can see it if you drive by, or if you drive on the street, because we just lifted up Jesus a little higher, amen? And guess what? We acted with wisdom and love and built relationships. That's what Christians are supposed to do. That's what it means to live in this world as a citizen. Figure out a way to where people can win without compromising what you stand for and what you believe, amen? We will preserve our heritage as a church. We will seek to preserve our heritage as a nation. I wanna give you a couple of quotes. President Quincy, uh, John Quincy Adams, remember, this is President John Quincy Adams. He's an old dude, all right? Some of you don't know presidents. This guy's been around a while, okay? He said, the highest glory of the American Revolution was this. It connected in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil, uh, civil government with the principles of Christianity. Do you hear what I said? You don't hear this much, do you? The United States of America were no longer colonies. They were an independent nation of Christians. John Jay, you may not be familiar with his who he is, he was a delegate to the Continental Congress, co-writer of the Federalist Papers, along with Alexander Hamilton and James Hamilton. He was the governor of New York, and he was the original Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. He said this, Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers, and it is their duty as well as privilege and interest of a Christian nation to select and prefer Christians to their rulers. That's our heritage our heritage. This nation was not founded by atheists. It was founded by Christians. If you've not yet believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, can I ask you today, what's keeping you? If you're uncertain in your faith in God, what's keeping you from shoring that up and being strong in the Lord? Amen? I wanna offer a prayer that you can pray right where you stand or sit today, watching online or in this place. And as I pray this prayer, I want you to call on the Lord. It goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me. That your my sins were nailed there on the cross and I'm forgiven because of what you did. I put my faith in you because you were buried in a tomb. And three days later, you rose from the dead to give me eternal life. And now it's by faith, God, that I receive that gift of eternal salvation. Faith in you, forgiveness of sins, that I might walk with you all the days of my life. And in your own words, you can just say amen right where you are, you can thank him in any way you want. But you see, salvation is not about works that you do. It's not about your behavior. God can work on all of those things. He can give you good works. He can work on changing things in your life. But it's all about faith and a relationship with Jesus Christ. We want you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.